Disclaimer, dude. Here we go. <laughs> da, 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 da. Joanna from Atlanta, Georgia, and you're listening to Beyond the Box. Hi, I'm Rayburn Johnson. And I'm Steve Sensenick. And this is Beyond the Box. Here's your invitation to explore life outside the box of institutional religion. This is a place where there are no walls to restrict our search for truth as we embrace the ambiguity of defining our life in Christ. So unbuckle your seatbelt, recline your chair, throw caution to the wind, and get ready for the ride that is Beyond the the Box. My man, it's Beyond the Box time with your old co-host, Steve Sensenig. You remember me? Beyond the Box, Box, Box. <laughs> Steve is here, and here's Steve. Woohoo! Da, 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 da. Oh, well, <laughs> pay royalties. I, I can't sing more than like three notes of it or what we'll to pay royalties on it. So. Gosh, I, you know, I miss those old days of The Tonight Show. That was, Johnny Carson was something else. You know, what I miss even more, though, are the old Saturday Night Lives. Well, yeah, that's true. I have to Old say, Old Saturday Night Lives were the best. I used to love me some Saturday Night Live. And every now and then, yeah. I pull out the best of Chris Farley DVD just to give oh, myself gosh. a good tickle. Yeah. Well, you know, so, some people would think that you need to go even farther back than Chris Farley to get to the good stuff. But, yep. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. When I, they say I, good old days, they're thinking like Bill Murray in 1970s. Yeah. Yeah. That predates me a little. <laughs> yeah. Well, me too, actually. But uh, yeah, my favorite was Phil Hartman. I always yeah. enjoyed Phil. He, he was, was awesome. He was amazing. The voices. And I used to love how he would, um, when he did live stuff, like I think he was on The Tonight Show one time and he said, um, he asked the audience to give him a language and a product, and he made up a commercial that sounded like he was doing it in that language. <laughs> so, like, he he had to do a commercial for a ballpoint pen in German. And it, and it was just all, like, it sounded like German. It was very convincing. And he's just, you know, I, I can't even pretend to, to do it, but... Oh goodness! Well, man, I, it's. Uh, I have to say, one ahead. of my favorites is has uh, got to be Chris Farley in the Chippendales. Um, yes, with uh, Patrick Swayze. Yes, yes, that's yes. got to be one of my favorites. And if you haven't seen that, then friends, please do YouTube it. It will give you YouTube a good it. Yes, yeah, and and boy, that just makes me sad though because both of those guys are gone. Yeah, yeah, Chris Farley and Patrick Swayze. But yeah, that was uh, that was a lot of fun watching them oh, do their goodness. Chippendales routine. Oh my goodness! Chris Farley just had a way of, you know, he it, he had a lot of physical humor, of course. Um, but he he just seemed to like almost spoof himself somehow. I don't know how you he do was that, like but. he was like slapstick for Gen Xers. Yeah, you know he was he was like it. Generation X slapstick. Yep. If the Three Stooges had been born and had had their career in the 1990s, Chris Farley that is would, what it would have looked like. Yeah, he would have been one of them. Yes, he'd have been the fourth Stooge. <laughs> the fourth Stooge. Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh! Well, it's so good to be back with you, bro. And I'm I'm excited because uh, we're actually going to get to see each other face to face here in a little whoop, bit. Whoop 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 whoop. 
Yeah, um, we're up in Pennsylvania right now, but we're finishing up here in the next couple of days and heading down through some southern states on the way to Texas, and I'm going to swing by your way and hang out. We are pretty stoked about it, my friend. I'm fired It'll up that fun, we actually man. get to see you in the flesh. I know, and you know, I I rarely have gotten to see you in the last few years, and when I have, it was always in the bookstore where you used to work. Now I get to just hang out with you in the real world. <laughs> and we don't have to whisper anymore. No, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You can yeah, come to my house see. and talk as loud as you want, brother. And we can talk about any heretical ideas we want to, right? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man, look at all yeah. these. I, you know, when you think about it, Ray, we we did our five-year recap uh, several months ago, but when you think about it over the seven, eight years, whatever it's been that you got, you and I have been talking, um, our lives have changed so drastically. Golly, yeah, yeah. And we've I mean, gone through several see, interesting we're, transitions. We're five years, three kids, uh, mm-hmm. and like three states later or something. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, well, of course, we both started in North Carolina, and then I moved to Virginia, and then I hit the road, and then you moved to Tennessee, and yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's been quite a different. crazy ride, brother, and the, and the cool it thing is... Been. Here's what I love about it is sometimes um, you think after so long you've kind of arrived at the station or whatever, and right. you realize, no, not, <laughs> not at all. We, we just keep evolving. We keep changing. This journey with God just keeps expanding and yeah. getting bigger, and the rabbit hole keeps going deeper. And, you yep. know, anymore, the thing that I'm loving is I remember so many of these conversations we've had over the years is, you know, we've compared it to, to free falling, to skydiving, and how for a while mm-hmm. it's really, really scary, and then it gets exhilarating. And yeah. more and more, I have to say, the, the fear is just so much less than it ever used less. to be. And Boy, the exhilaration is so much greater <laughs> than yeah, it used to be. It is. You know? It is. Yeah, that, that feeling of falling, I know when we first started talking to each other and sharing, you know, those tentative conversations where we weren't sure how far we could go with our comments. And, uh, yeah, I remember that, that sense of like, it was more a sense that things were crumbling around me Yeah, and that I was, I was losing something. And now it's, it's at a point where it's just like, I'm enjoying that free fall and I'm enjoying the sense of journey and, um, just the whole process of living life in a free way yeah. is is really really amazing. I, I'm I'm much more settled in my unsettledness, if that makes sense. Well, you know, when when, when you remove the fear of punishment, it's just like you have this yeah. room to breathe and room to grow, and and mm-hmm. suddenly you can explore ideas without the fear that maybe this is the precipice that leads to the pit. You know, right. and it's just it's so much. You know, this this journey is just a trip, man. It's a real trip. Yeah. And I'm so thankful to get to do it with you. I know. I was just thinking the same thing. It, it has definitely been way more meaningful having someone like you in my life to to talk about these things with and to bounce ideas off of. And um, and I'm, I'm really excited, too, because lately we've been expanding our Facebook community and the amount of involvement that we get with other people online. And, you know, I know some people want to... Uh, well, I don't know how to say this, but some people feel dissatisfied with just online interactions. Sure. You know, they, they feel like, well, it's not really the same as real life relationships. And I recognize that there are differences, but I've come to really enjoy 
the cyber relationships that we've built with our community and people that, you know, like Heather Sterling uh, up in Alaska, who knows when we'll ever be able to see her face to face, but the relationship of, of interacting online or, or even in a group podcast um, still to me fulfills a lot of need for community in my yeah. life. Um, yeah. Even when it, it can't be physically in the same room, like we would love to be, but um, well, I have the, to say, the, Steve, I don't know when, when we did the, we did the group cast and, and mm-hmm. uh, hopefully you're going to get to jump in that next one. Uh, yeah, I when, hope so. When we did the group cast, you know, it really is in a lot of ways, the way technology is now, it's almost like you are in the same room. So that's suddenly so cool. yeah. we get all these people from literally around the world. I mean, literally, not, yep. not just different countries, but different days, <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. <laughs> there we are <laughs> on right. Saturday night and Ulf Jetter is in Sunday morning yeah. already. And uh-huh. we're getting to do this thing and actually like we're in the same room. I mean, it really, yeah. we, we live in an awesome day, brother. That's true. And it, it really has, I think, a big part of what's happening worldwide in terms of spiritual things is a result of technology bridging some of those distances and bridging mm-hmm. some of those gaps. So I know when I first, uh, I, in fact, Christy and I just had dinner yesterday with uh, a couple and their seven kids who uh, left the institutional church a number of years ago. And this this is a couple that I knew when I was much younger as a kid. They're probably about 10 years older than I am. And um, we have a similar upbringing in common, and now we have a similar experience outside the church too. Um, but anyway, it was, it was really interesting just uh, talking with them and uh, recognizing that when – for all of us, when we first started to have those ideas, we thought that we were the only ones. Yeah. We thought that we were completely isolated in thinking these things. And then you get online and you start Googling and you start searching out different books and different podcasts. And suddenly you realize, I mean, I, I know for me, it was such a shock to find out that there were tens of thousands of people, at least, if not millions, who had been asking the same, the very same questions I was asking. Yeah, And suddenly you feel a little bit less... Um, weird and a little bit less uh, heretical, (laughs) for lack of a better word. And and you feel vindicated in your own questioning. And, you know, I know that was certainly the way for you and I getting together and going, wow, you've thought that too? Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's so cool. And so I I see, like, I I don't think it's a a coincidence that when we started this, uh, the group on Facebook a couple weeks ago and made it a closed group and told people, hey, you can be, feel safe to to talk here because people aren't going to see what you post. The discussion just exploded. Well, and, I mean, and you know, Steve, I want to, I want to apologize because I think in the group cast, I actually told, I actually mentioned the fact that it would show up on people's Facebook feed. But, um, I realized later on that I was wrong, that it doesn't show up on your Facebook feed. So please know right. that if you're going to, yeah. if you're going to hop in the conversation, um, on the group page that, it's not going to show up on your Facebook feed that you're safe. You can say anything you want there and your other friends are not going to see it. So I, I really appreciate you clarifying that Steve. Cause I need, Oh, to, sure. I need to announce now, I that mean, now. I, yeah. Well, and I, I, I do want to, to remind people that obviously, you know, in this cyber world, nothing is extremely private, sure. you know? And so there, there's nothing, if, if you really are afraid of somebody reading something that you wrote, you, you need to take that seriously. You need to think about it, but for the most part, what's shared in that group is is completely safe because nobody's going to copy and paste it and you know start a big 
brouhaha over it, I don't think. You know, most of us aren't really on the radar for a lot of people anyway. But, um, but yeah, it's to to the extent at which it can be safe, it is <laughs> exactly. And um, and I I'm just I'm delighted to see, like I said, just the explosion of conversation. It was almost like the Beyond the Box community was just waiting for their voice to be heard. You know, yeah. and uh, you and I have been opening up for discussion online in a lot of ways, but. I had kind of wondered why we didn't get more people commenting. We we get a lot of private emails. People right. pour their hearts out to us in emails. But, uh, you know, online comments were just kind of eh, sort of sparse. It had know. slowed down a whole lot for sure. Yeah. But, man, we opened up that group. And at the time that we're recording right now, we've got like 148 members in there. Um, and we certainly welcome anybody else to join us there. But uh, it was like from day one, just people started posting, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And sometimes I'll see something get posted, and I'll go 10 minutes after it's posted, and there's already eight or 10 comments. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's so fun. And and the thing I love about it is the fact that it just happens organically, and there's no no moderators. There's no – it it just happens. And if you want to jump in, if you only want to read it, you can just read it. Or if you want to jump in, you can jump in. Or if you want to – Jump in and then jump out. You can do that. It's just a yeah, lot of exactly. options for conversation, for sure. And if you don't know where that group is, uh, you can find it from our Facebook page. Uh, and we'll go over all those details at the end of the podcast, too. But uh, we'd certainly invite anybody to jump in there who wants to um, and, and join the conversation or start your own. And, and speaking of conversations, we uh, on the idea submission page, I was kind of going through that today because it's been a while mm-hmm. since we've addressed any yeah. of the ideas on the on the idea submission just kind of looking through them and threw a few out to you to kick around and we both kind of settled mm-hmm. in on an idea that was submitted by joshua craig i think way back in gosh it was back in april actually um yeah I'm, it was earlier this year i'm just gonna read i'm just gonna read his idea submission and then we'll just start kicking off here and see where we go let's do it and please know <laughs> Disclaimer, dude. Here we go. <laughs> Please know we are not the experts. So when we start talking about this topic, this is uh, you know we talk about we talk about the intro. Two guys thinking out loud. I think that is that still on our intro. Is that still in our intro. I don't <laughs> know. It used to be. I, but anyway, if it's not on there, let us throw that in there now. We are two well, guys it's definitely thinking in out the, loud. The, so the type description on our website. I know it's in there. <laughs> by no stretch of the imagination will this subject be exhaustively covered, but um, we hope we give yeah. you some food for thought, and we hope we give us some food for thought. So Absolutely. anyway, Joshua on April third of this year said, "Love the podcast and would love a discussion on panentheism." There's a significant historical tradition of panentheism and Christian mysticism, and whether it's Christ filling up the cosmos in Colossians, or God being all in all in 1 Corinthians 15, or whether it could serve as a sort of philosophical prequel to the discussions of hell, I think it's a discussion worth having. A view of God wherein God is integrated into his creation is a part of a holistic picture of nonviolence. I think, anyway, smiley face. <laughs> we always love the <laughs> smiley the faces. Smile, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, Ray, I, I want to say about this, because this, this is, again, one of these cases where I thought I was having some really crazy out there ideas, and then I find out that lots of people, even throughout history, have embraced some things that we're talking about. I did not know until that comment was posted back in April I don't think I'd ever heard the term panentheism before. I had heard of pantheism, which is Peter Pan is God, but I, <laughs> no, <laughs> um, but I had never heard panentheism, 
which sometimes, apparently from what I understand, can sort of meld with pantheism in a certain way. But uh, it really has a, a distinct um, a distinction in it with that extra syllable. And so there was a situation where I was like, I had this kind of crazy idea. What if we're all sort of part of God? And I knew pantheism basically just says that everything is God. Right. But panentheism goes in some ways a step further, or at least a step in a slightly different direction, and says that everything is part of God, but God is can still be a being greater than all of creation. So like the universe all is part of God, but God is still the source of life for the universe and has some identity in being outside of the universe as well is one way to look at it in panentheism. And uh, I don't know. It, it's um, – I guess what surprised me is finding out, as someone recently mentioned in the discussion group, I think on the day that we're recording this was when this was posted, that – some of us are finding out that we're way more Eastern Orthodox than we ever thought we were. <laughs> oh, we've and been I didn't finding even that out anything. for a while, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, and I didn't, I didn't even know anything about Eastern Orthodox like five years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, panentheism, uh, I've heard the term for several years, but I've always heard it in a negative light. It's always, course, it's always yeah. been presented as, uh, well, it's not as bad as pantheism, but it's the closest next near thing to it. <laughs> but, yeah, you know... It's, um, it's not like 100% heretical, but it's 99.9% heretical. Exactly. But the thing I've been finding more and more is there's different panentheisms. And it's yes. just as, uh, just as you and I term. have talked about, and you said this a long time ago on some podcasts, and it's really stuck with me, is, you know, he who defines the terms wins. So, right. <laughs> so I think it's really important that, that we define it from the onset because... So we can win. So we can win because it's all about winning. Podcasting (laughs) is all about winning. Podcasting 101. The end of the conversation, you must be right. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Oh, wait. We said we weren't the experts, didn't we? But, you know, it it really is true. I mean, it's... um, Yeah, it is. Depending on... There's all sorts of different different versions of panentheism. So, Mm -hmm. you know... Maybe maybe we want to unpack that a little bit and maybe yes, maybe talk do. about, you know, do we think it's right? Do we think it's wrong? Mm-hmm. Where do we see uh yeah. where do we see truth? Where do we see that maybe we wouldn't agree with it wholeheartedly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. What do you have in the way of definitions? <laughs> 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 well, when I say when I say definitions, maybe I maybe I should uh, clarify. I'm not going to give you a different, de- but I, I know in reading yeah. about it and stuff, there's all sorts of different um, iterations, Nuances. I guess you could say, yeah. of it. And I know that, for instance, the Eastern Orthodox, you know, they would say that um, many of them would believe in a version of panentheism, but more so mm-hmm. w- they would keep God separate from creation still. That right, creation, right. you know, Eastern Orthodox talk a lot about divine energies. That's a that's a really popular mm-hmm. term. Um, mm-hmm. So that that God's divine energies are what was used to create the universe, but God's mm-hmm. essential person is not necessarily a part of the universe. Right. So that, for instance, um, it goes beyond God just being the creator, 
because God's mm-hmm. the sustainer as well. God has to sustain right. everything. And therefore, you know, it, it goes beyond just this deistic view of God creating things and then, you know, leaving it to spin yeah. on its own. But yep. it doesn't go as far as to say that the universe itself is contained within God or that, you right. know, like for instance, process theology, I know, mm-hmm. um, which I've been becoming more and more familiar with over the last few years, really takes pantheism in a whole nother direction where, or panentheism, sorry, pan-entheism. Ta- takes panentheism in a whole different direction where God is that the universe and God while they wouldn't they wouldn't go as far as the pantheist in saying they're the same, they come mm-hmm. awful darn close in saying that the universe is as affected by God as God is by the universe. Mm-hmm. That those mm-hmm. that those things are equal. Um and that right. God is as much changed by the universe as the universe is changed by God. Which is kind of what led toward open theism exactly. ultimately, I think, exactly. in some areas. Yeah, and and I think well, just from a strictly linguistic uh, aspect, the distinction between pantheism and panentheism. Pantheism is all is God, and panentheism is all is in God. So that uh, from the from the Greek, that middle syllable makes a, a huge distinction. I think, although again, there there could be some overlap in that concept. Um, I I have to say, in all honesty, Ray. I've come at it from from a slightly different angle in in starting to look at this before I ever knew about the term, and that's strictly from from what we read in Scripture. There were these little clues to me, or that said to me that maybe there was more to the relationship between God and man than just creator and creation, uh, master and slave, you know, or father yeah. and child. Um, and and some of the some of the key things that kind of jumped out at me is. Uh, the first one I think really that jumped out at me was Jesus' prayer in John 17 when he prays that we would be one with him and the Father as he and the Father are one. Uh, I may be paraphrasing that a little bit, but there was it was almost like he was drawing this Venn diagram with all kinds of overlapping circles. Mm, mm. And, and you have a set of the Father and a set of the Son, and they overlap and become one. And then he's praying that we, as his followers, would be one with each other and with them. So, you know, this Venn diagram just becomes this this huge uh, overlap of all these circles, including us and the Son and the Father. And that that stuck out to me for a long time mm-hmm. as this clue that maybe, at least in Jesus' mind, there was something a lot more to this relationship. And then I think uh, probably the next part of that that really stuck with me was uh, and I can't remember exactly where it is, but it, I think it's Peter that says, um, uses the phrase partakers of the divine nature. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that that phrase to me, again, seems really significant. That There's something other than just worshiping God, something other than just being adopted into his family. That when he says we are partakers of the divine nature, there, again, I have this picture of a Venn diagram where there's some overlap, at least, that that something about God's nature becomes part of us or we become part of him, you know. Mm, mm. And then uh, the third passage that, that jumps out in my mind is Paul in, uh, I believe it's Acts 17, um, I think it is, where he quotes the poet saying... Uh, On Mars Hill? Yes. And he says, in him we... 
uh, I always forget this. Live, live and move and have move our being. And, and have our being, yeah. Oh. I always want to throw breathe in there somewhere. <laughs> um, but the, this, and, and that's the, the angle of panentheism that I, I saw when I started to read up on this word, and I'm going, oh, okay, this is where we are so, so much connected with God mm. that we, he is the source of our life. And I think it harkens back to the Genesis story, the creation story of God breathing into Adam mm. life. Mm. And so it's, and I think, I think that the essence of God breathing into man is putting his nature in us. Mm. Mm. So I don't know, that, that was kind of what started it for me was, was looking at, at what we saw in scripture and going, wait, there's these little clues from Genesis to almost Revelation, yeah. that that there's something stronger than just accepting Jesus as our Savior yeah. and you know believing in Him. There, there seemed to be something much more organic and much more um, life giving yeah. in that relationship. I see, and and like I, you know, I think about um, Paul in First Corinthians fifteen talking about. That you know God's ultimate end, the eschatological hope, mm-hmm. is that God will be all in all, and I've yes. often thought about that even way before, way before any of these conversations happened. Like mm-hmm. I remember years, like years and years ago, reading that passage and going, "This is so bizarre." He's not just saying that we'll be in Him or He'll be in us, but He right. says that God may be all in all, like that God mm-hmm. will consume the universe, not in a consume is kind of a, I I want that word not to have the wrong connotation. Not that God's like a, you know, like it's not a destructive thing. Thank you. That's the one I'm trying to say. It's not a destructive thing, but in other words that God, it's almost like we came from God and we'll be Mm -hmm. absorbed back into God. And Mm -hmm. that maybe the truth is we were, well, maybe nothing. The truth is we, (laughs) we've never been separate from him. Right. The fact that um you know we start out we start out in in that metaphor of the garden where you know God walks with mankind in the cool of the day breathes into mm-hmm. him the breath of life like you said there's just mm-hmm. this organic unity where we're completely naked before him uh right. you know we we don't have it, there's nothing between us and him we're we're as yeah. close to him as we could possibly be and then we end yeah. up in that place that Paul says, where God may be all in all. And mm-hmm. to me, I I don't know, the traditional notion of Christianity has become less and less satisfying for me that God yeah. has this creature-creator relationship where right. it's two completely distinct things, the creature and the creator. More and more, I just yeah. don't see that as being... Um, the intimate union that, like you were saying, that Jesus talked about in John 17. Well, I I had heard it stated, uh, and on several occasions, and I've actually seen it in like wall hangings and and pictures and stuff like that. And I'm sure you came across this in your bookstore years, right? This, uh, and I don't I don't know what the source of it is, but somebody had said, you know, basically there are two things to know: one, there is a God; two, you are not Him. <laughs> yeah, I remember those. Yeah. And which actually grammatically should be you or not he. But anyway, um, <laughs> I I remember that combined with, you know, taking phrases out of Ecclesiastes like you are God in heaven and here I am on earth, so I'll let my words be few. Uh, 
that, that traditional Christianity seems to always want to emphasize the otherness of God. Yes. That God, and, and not just otherness, but separateness of yeah. God. Yeah. Which I find ironic because, like you were talking about, if if part of the lie that we have fallen into as a human race is that we are separate from God, if that's the lie, the truth is we're not separate from God. Mm-hmm. And so it seems ironic to me that the religion that claims to have the corner on the truth, even the capital T truth, is so bent on emphasizing separation between us and God, mm-hmm. both in mm-hmm. our pre-conversion state of sin that, you know, God turned his back on us, couldn't look on us, et cetera, separated himself from us. And even then in our oneness in Christ, like I've heard so many people talk about that prayer in John 17 and say, well, when he said that he prayed for us to be one, he didn't mean in the same way as he and the Father are one. Like they they totally... But he actually says that. (laughs) But he says it, I know. It's like, because I remember, oh gosh, four or five years ago, asking a pastor, like, okay, when Jesus says earlier in John, I and the Father are one, and then in John 17, he says, I pray that they would be one with us in the same way that you and I are one, why do we assume that he meant something different? Mm. Why would he suddenly Mm. change the way he talks about it? Mm. And I think that the most logical way to look at that, and the most consistent hermeneutically, is to say that when Jesus used the term one over here, he meant the same thing as when he said one over here. That's right. That's right. So it's a it, one-to-one for, relationship. It, <laughs> <laughs> right? Bingo. That's good, man. That's good. Um, so, you know, the, the, um, the very people who claim to have a consistent hermeneutic and, you know, you just interpret things the way that they're... And, and it, it, you know, it's like, because we're not talking about John said it once and... Peter said it over here, right. or John said it, and Paul said it. We're not even talking about different authors. We're not even talking about different books. Right. It's not John and First John. Exactly. It's right in the same book mm-hmm. by the same author. How can we twist that to say, you know, five chapters later or whatever, it means, or ten, whatever it is, it means something completely different. I think that that just begs the question of why are we so opposed to the idea that we are one with God? Yeah, you know, and I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, going back to talking about Eastern Orthodox theology, the defining Mm -hmm. event in Eastern Orthodox theology is not the crucifixion or the resurrection, it's the incarnation. It's the, Mm -hmm. and the incarnation Mm -hmm. is inclusive of the crucifixion and resurrection, but it's even bigger than that. But it's a package deal, yes. And and the reason it's so important, and you know, we've talked about this with the idea of theosis in Eastern Orthodoxy, Mm -hmm. is this this melding together of God and man. And the problem is... I think part of what we've done in Christianity is we've made that a unique event in Jesus. Exactly. We've made it a unique mm. event to where we elevate we elevate Jesus over, and, and yeah. we actually juxtapose Jesus to our relationship with God. So Jesus has this right. relationship with God that's yep. special compared to our relationship with God. Whereas yes, we can it never seems like the idea of theosis is, you know, and Scripture bears this out, that yeah. Jesus was the firstborn among right, many brethren, many. you know, John three sixteen mm-hmm. calls him the only begotten, but then later on, John calls yep. him the first begotten. He's no longer the right. only begotten. He's the first begotten. Yeah. And he says, he's the firstborn among many brethren. In other words, there's yeah. tons of us out there 
that are go- yeah. that are supposed to experience this exact same kind of relationship, like you said in John 17 mm-hmm. that Jesus bears mm-hmm. out, the same relationship he has with the Father. I- I've been reading yeah. something recently. Um, Jim Douglas, who I've just grown to love, um, mm. he's a peace activist, part of the Catholic Worker Movement. Um, uh-huh. I'm reading some stuff by him right now, and he, he talks about... Uh, the use of the term, the son of man and uh-huh. the, I can't remember the Greek for it, but he, he goes over and over in talking about the term son of man and showing how Jesus was not using it as a title for himself, but he was actually trying to say, I am I'm human. I'm a demonstration of yeah. what God made you to be. I'm the true. I've human. wondered about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I've I'm wondered the true about human. That. And Walter Wink talks mm-hmm. about this. I'm the true human. And yeah. I'm trying to demonstrate to you what the new humanity as part yes. of the new creation is to look like. And mm-hmm. that new humanity is to be God infused. It's to be filled with God. It's not to, it's not where humanity is to be in this subservient relationship to God, where he's the master, right. he's the Lord, we're the slaves, we're the servants, but it's right. God infused humanity where mm-hmm. I would, I would almost say, or I would, I guess I would say, that it's you're about to I'm yeah. about to you're about to say let's see wait for it wait for wait. it <laughs> that yeah. that I think it's supposed to be such a divine unity divine human yeah. humanity unity that mm-hmm. you don't know where one ends and the other begins exactly exactly and this is you know I have I've come and I've shared this some on the podcast before Ray but I've really come to the point of embracing a much more mystical approach to my faith than a, uh, I don't know, what's the... Rational what's the, or... Yeah, I guess that would be the, the antithesis, wouldn't it? Um, and so uh, recently, I don't know if I mentioned this on here before, but uh, recently I read uh, John Shelby Spong's book about the fourth gospel. Did you just say that? And did you say that on air? That. I did just say that. I read John <laughs> Shelby Spong. I am a heretic. Um <laughs> He and and I, there's so much that he writes in there that I'm like, okay, I got to think about this for another five years. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not there yet. But he basically uh, points out the fact that from all of his study, he has come to the conclusion that the the what we know as the Gospel of John, the fourth Gospel, is in essence a mystical approach to faith. And it it makes me realize that so much of my understanding of our oneness with God comes from that fourth Gospel mm. that. You know what I've just mentioned. There, there were other verses that I mentioned outside of that gospel, but the the notion of Jesus being one with God and us being one with Jesus and with God that 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 comes straight out of the Book of John. Mm. And so I'm thinking this goes along with this mystical approach that you know being one with God, being part of the divine. That's not a rational concept. No, that's, that's how can you wrap very... your noodle around that, right? Exactly, you can't, and it's 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 a very mystical approach to to faith. But to me, it makes so much sense mm. to see me at, like exactly what you just said: this human unity with God. And it has bothered me for a long time that we have. In fact, we did a podcast years ago called "Jesus the Man." Yeah, and we talked about this fact that. What bothers me so much is that we have put Jesus in this other category of something so unique. And so what do we do? We take all the miracles that he did. We say he did those because he was God. Right. 
he was able to walk on water because he was God. Well, how did Peter walk on water? He wasn't God, was he? Jesus healed the sick because he was God. Well, how did Peter and John heal the sick? Mm. Jesus raised people from the dead because he was God. How did the disciples raise people from the God? How did Paul raise someone or raise people from the dead? How did Paul raise someone from the dead? All of these things, and and of course Jesus said the the things, all the things I did, you will do, and much greater things. Mm-hmm. So to me, I'm like, let's stop this nonsense of Jesus being in this unique category. Mm. Mm. And this is honestly, I, I want to address this because. This has come up in some of the discussions online. We've talked about some on the podcast. I think sometimes people misunderstand where I'm coming from. I am not so much anti-creeds as I am anti the barriers that those creeds create Mm. in our understanding of God. Mm. I have said for, for several years, my problem with the doctrine of the Trinity is not that I don't believe that Jesus is God. It's not that I don't believe that that there is even a sense in which the Trinity could be an explanation for how God has revealed himself. My problem is, is it does, it doesn't go far enough Mm. in Mm. describing God that I think the the councils stopped at a certain point of religious safety for them Mm. in saying, we believe this about the Godhead. And, and then it, it got distorted, I think in the Athanasian creed where it says, if you don't believe it exactly like this, then you're condemned. You're, you're anathema we did not allow ourselves to embrace the greater mystical truth, I think, mm. of who God is and how we relate to him. So when we when we pigeonhole Jesus into the second person of the Trinity, I'm not arguing against that because I don't think Jesus is part of God or that he has divine nature. I'm arguing against it because it removes us from the divine nature mm. by defining the Trinity as such. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And as a matter of fact, I mean, taking what you're saying, uh, kind of what I've been thinking as you're talking is, um, you know, in many ways, worship can become a substitute for discipleship. Mm-hmm. In that, if we worship Jesus as something other than us, right, then we no longer have to imitate him. Because mm-hmm. if he if he has something we don't have, we don't have right. to aspire to be like him. We can just mm-hmm. worship him and honor him and respect him and be thankful that he did it so we don't have to. But the, right. the thing about Jesus is he doesn't say, worship me because I'm going to take up my cross so you won't have to. He says, no, right. take up your cross take and your follow cross. me. If you're, yeah. if you're not willing to take up your cross, you yeah. can't follow me and be my disciple. So one thing I wonder with what you're saying about the creeds, and this is just a thought that was just occurring to me as, as you were, Mm -hmm. as you were fleshing that out, um, could it be that the, the key of what you said there for me was when you were talking about the, that the people, the, the framers of the different creeds, and maybe they weren't going far enough because of religious boundaries. Could Mm -hmm. it be that those boundaries were even political in that a Lord and servant relationship reinforces the monarchy that's already in existence at the time. Right. Because if you were to create this flat view of God, where God Mm -hmm. is standing under humanity, lifting them up instead of standing over humanity, pushing them down, then it would undermine all the political structures that were in place, such as Constantine, Mm -hmm. such Mm -hmm. as, um, you know, uh, Theodosius, 
you know, all these right. different, it, it would have taken all of these emperors that were in place when all these creeds were made and it would have mm-hmm. made them just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. So I think in some ways, and this is something that you've argued for about with the Nicene Creed and talking about mm-hmm. um, that we can't just take a, a decision that was made or a creed that was framed in isolation from the way in which it was done. Right. Because we look at the way in which it was done and the way the emperor, you know, uh, came in and his, mm-hmm. in his quote unquote glory and with his right. magisterial presence and, and, you mm-hmm. know, o- oversaw the whole thing. You can't separate that from, from what came out of it. And so right. could it be that maybe one of the reasons, and this is, this is harkening back to a lot of the things we've talked about surrounding Christian anarchy is mm-hmm. if you have a view of a Lord who's more about washing feet than about having hands raised towards him, or he's more about lifting up the oppressed than he is about being the oppressor. Mm-hmm. If that's the kind of Lord you have, it completely undermines governmental authority, power structures, right. Uh, right. be it be it within the church or within the government. And so to do yeah. that not only topples the religious institution, but it can mm-hmm. threaten to topple society itself from the top down. Yes, absolutely, it can. And I, I think, yeah, you're you're hitting pretty much on where I was headed with this because I think, and it, uh, let me kind of reframe a little bit of what you said, uh, put a little slightly different spin on it. I think there was absolutely heavy political influence in what took place with the, the formulation of the creeds, especially the Nicene Creed. I think what what also we see happening is that the the councils and the Nicene Creed and uh, later creeds that were developed as well, they were reactionary. I don't think anybody would argue that point. They they addressed uh, tension that they saw within the church. They addressed um, conflict that they perceived was there, you know, between Arius and Athanasius, stuff like that. So the the creeds themselves, I think if we place them in context historically, we see them as addressing a conflict of that time. But I think where they made a mistake and where we might make a mistake in in elevating those creeds too highly is that we view that statement then as, okay, this is how everybody needs to view it. This is this is the, the only correct way of looking at it. And I think what they did is they they took they just took sides in a debate. Whereas to me boy, I, I'm I'm really hesitant to say some of this, Ray, because I don't want people to misunderstand even more what I'm sure, trying to say about this. Sure. I've kind of I feel like I've gotten this reputation as the anti-creed guy, and maybe it's somewhat deserved. But the the debate about the nature of Jesus, I think, missed the greater point of who Jesus was. Mm-hmm. I think what you and I are saying about the true human, about Jesus being the example of who we are and what we can become, I think that whole question got completely um, missed Mm, mm. in Nicaea because they were basically saying, was he always God or did he become God? Well, okay, that's not a bad discussion to have, but all that ended up happening was saying he was always God and therefore if anybody says that he became God, they're a heretic and they need to be banished. And so it just became about settling that question, and yet it missed the greater question of 
what was Jesus teaching us? What well, could you know, it, the, the debate isn't about his nature; it's about who who are we in relationship to him. Go ahead. Exactly. Could could it even be about? I mean, it, you know, we've talked a lot on the podcast about the idea of progressive revelation, and right. we've done that a lot in the form of talking about the sixty six books of the canon of the Protestant canon, mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm you know, showing that there's a progressive revelation within that. But if we look at the work of God as being progressive, that the revelation Mm -hmm. that God gives us is progressive, could it be that there's not been a time Mm -hmm. where this bottom-up structure Mm -hmm. could really be revealed in the past like it's being revealed now? Because now you have, you know... um, with the emergence of democracy during the time of the Enlightenment, mm-hmm. you had kind of mm-hmm. the the very beginnings of this idea that you know people could people could run a society as a group instead of having to ha- have this triangular top down right. uh, authoritarianism. Right. Although it wasn't mm-hmm. really established, the idea was in seed form there. But then yeah. you have things like the emergence of the of the internet, where mm-hmm. now every Tom, Dick, and Harry can have a blog. Guys like right. us can have a podcast, <laughs> you know, and you can go Lord on help Wikipedia and you can actually write yeah. the dictionary, right. you know? So now instead of the experts, you know, and, mm-hmm. and we've talked a lot about this, but instead of the experts having the monopoly on truth, right. you have people from the bottom up getting to really yeah. get in on the framing process of mm-hmm. what, mm-hmm. of what we're going to call truth. And so in saying right. that, could it be that, you know, while the Nicene Creed was good for its time or the Chalcedonian Creed was good for its time, et cetera, et cetera, could mm-hmm. it be that those societies weren't ready for yeah. a Jesus that was just like us, for a Jesus that was yeah. that was all about elevating us to the status of sons of God? Well, I, th- I think that's a great question, and it, because I think if I understand what you're saying correctly, they were a product of their own culture. So... They they saw things like you said, you know, a, a lord and servants, you know, a Caesar and subjects. They saw the world through those lenses, and so that's kind of what they figured the kingdom of God must be like. the The irony for me is that so much of what was happening politically at that time, uh, and I, I'm racking my brain to try to figure out how we can bring this back to panentheism, but <laughs> we'll get there. I, I think we'll get there eventually. Um, I think what so much of what was happening politically at that time caused them to miss so much of what Jesus actually taught. Because if you look at what Jesus taught about the kingdom of God, it looked nothing like Caesar's reign. Mm-hmm. It looked absolutely nothing like a top down. It was the anti reign. <laughs> it was. It yeah. was. And and so but you know, you think about the fact that at that time there was basically one Catholic church. Um and their whole their whole method of structure was top down authority. You had mm-hmm. the representative of Christ, the 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 personification of Christ, if you will, in the form of the Pope at the top. And then everybody listened to him to get the revelation from God. So it's like, I, I just keep looking at it and going, they were so off in their understanding of the kingdom that I, I just think it's it's really dangerous to look at their theological conclusions and go, well, they must have been right about this, or they must have 
been led by the Spirit in this because I think they they were working with such a skewed view mm. of how things were structured in God's economy. Mm. 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 And and I I mean I'm not I don't maybe I am anti creed I don't know I I keep not wanting to get that reputation but I I just think by that point already in church history when Constantine took over uh there there just was so much baggage being brought into the church and so much had slipped away from what Jesus taught that I think we have to to be willing to think outside of those boxes yeah, and yeah. say okay so the, I guess this does come back to pantheism in the sense of okay what what did Jesus talk about our relationship with God how did he describe it and if he describes this oneness that we're seeing and and we have no problem accepting it in a trinitarian sense then why can't we accept it in a googleitarian sense of you know everybody in in the kingdom is part of this this being that we know as God, and yet God is so much bigger than that because he is the source of life for everybody that's in that kingdom to begin with. Okay, so at this point, uh, Paul Walker on the on the Facebook group, I threw out something just basically saying, hey guys, we're going to talk about panentheism tonight. Do we have anybody yeah. that has any thoughts? And I think I think there's a appropriate quote for what we're right in the right where we're at in this conversation. Um, I'm just going to read this quote from Paul. He's quoting from N.T. Wright in the book Simply Christian. N.T. Wright says, The one true God made a world that was other than himself, because that is what love delights to do. And having made such a world, he has remained in a close, dynamic, and intimate relationship with it, without in any way being contained within it or having it contained within him. This God appears to take very seriously the fact that his beloved creation has become corrupt, has rebelled, and is suffering the consequences. This is something the pantheist cannot cope with. Even panentheism has a hard time giving a serious account of the radical nature of evil, let alone of what a good God might do about it. So, with what with what Paul's uh, the, the quote that Paul's given us from N.T. Wright here, one of the things that I was thinking about was, you know, basically N.T. Wright saying love drove God to create. But mm-hmm. when he created, he 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 didn't he was in an, he was in a dynamic and intimate relationship with creation. But that doesn't mean that he that the creation was either contained within him or he was contained within it. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I you know the first couple of times I read that I wanted to just embrace it, and I I, I have a soft spot in my heart for NT Wright anyway. Sure. Um, but I I gotta say, Ray, I, I I'm not sure that I understand where he's getting that initial premise from, because he goes on to say then the you know that that basically that uh, panentheism has a problem, which this may be a, a legitimate observation that, yeah. that it has difficulty understanding evil then, because if everything is part of God, how can there be evil? I guess is what he's getting yeah, at, right? Yeah. So, but I, I question the initial premise that, that the way God chose to create necessitated an otherness that is not absorbed in his identity somehow. I, I think, um, yeah, I, I'm just not sure that I well, that I get the initial premise. Any anytime I disagree with N. T. Wright, I do it with a little fear and trembling, just because he's yeah, such that's a heavy exactly hitter. what I'm doing. He's such <laughs> yeah. a heavy hitter, and I'm such 
I'm such a worm intellectually compared to N.T. Wright. <laughs> but I'm going to say in this quote, I don't find myself in complete agreement with him. And yeah. one of the things I said to Paul on in the Facebook group, I love the fact mm-hmm. that he put that in there. I was like, within minutes of me putting that out there, he had yes. this great quote from Simply Christian. I'm like, how the heck <laughs> yeah. did he do that? Does he have this on his computer where he can search panentheism and find his entire <laughs> right. library where that, I mean, that was amazing. Maybe to me. he did. <laughs> but anyway, um, the thing that, the thing that really got me that kind of stood out to me in it mm-hmm. was in N.T. Wright's basically saying that God's created the world out of love, but he's really separate from it. Even though he remains close, he's really separate from it. Right. And then he goes on to say, creation has become corrupt, has rebelled and is suffering the consequences. And that's Mm -hmm. where I stopped. And I went, wait a minute. If we believe in the incarnation, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus, then we believe. And if, if we believe in the incarnation, then whatever we want to say about all of this stuff that we're talking about tonight with our relationship with God we would all say Jesus, Jesus is God. Yeah. Which begs the question, if Jesus, if Jesus, if the incarnation is true and Jesus died Mm -hmm. on behalf of our sins, then it's Mm -hmm. not that we bear the consequences of our sins. It's Mm -hmm. that God himself bore the Mm -hmm. the the consequences of our sins. And God took on our corruption, which first Corinthians 521, you know, he who knew no sin became sin. Mm-hmm. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him, so yeah. so God actually took on the consequences, and God mm-hmm. suffered our consequences. Like Moltmann talks about the crucified God, God was crucified mm-hmm. on our behalf. So God participates not only in our joy, in our beauty, right. in the love, but He also mm-hmm. participates in our suffering. Mm-hmm. So if that's true, it begs the question to me: How can we parse it out? And separate right. God so that we can say, well, he's here, but he's not here. Or, well, he's close, but he's not yeah. within. Because I'm going, you know, yeah. I think when Jesus moved into the neighborhood, as Eugene Peterson mm-hmm. says in the message where he talks about, right. you know, that, that uh, he, t- he made his flesh dwelling, tabernacle. yeah, tabernacled among us. He says he moved into mm-hmm. the neighborhood. I yeah. think when Jesus moved in the neighborhood, he never moved out. Right. I agree. Completely. And if that's true, then... Even if we want to say technically, if one wanted to mm-hmm. say this, and I don't know that I would be comfortable saying it, but if one right. wanted to say that in the beginning God created and it was separate from him, right. we can never say that again after the incarnation. See, I, I, you just nailed it for me because I, I think that that was kind of my hesitancy with NTU's quote is that it it just delays the problem in my thinking. It it It's still... Like it, like you said, you, even if you want to accept that there was some separateness at one point, that did not remain. That God did not remain separate. I I think that I I appreciate what NT is trying to say, but I think it's trying too hard to maintain something about God that we feel a religious need to maintain. He, I I think what I think you're hitting the nail on the head. He's trying to honor God's transcendence. And in yes. doing so, he's taking away from God's eminence, which I think is a yeah. common mistake in Orthodox Christian in traditional Christianity. It is, and it, and it's a tension point that that we certainly can't explain in purely rational terms. Which again gets me to this mystical sense that there is. Is it any coincidence that mystical and mystery start with the same uh, four letters? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I I think 
you know, and, and I've, it's funny because I've never been one to really like the answer of, oh, there's just a tension that you have to allow. You know, <laughs> it's just, we, we can't explain this mystery. Like, that's how the Trinity was always explained to me. You know, it's just a mystery. I, I've never been really comfortable with that. And yet I'm, I'm starting to become more comfortable with the notion that when we're talking about moving beyond rational either or definitions to a both and definition, yeah, yeah. That there there is something about that 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 makes sense to me now in a mystical sense. So, I I think to, but but again I'll, I'll go back to the creation story. However, uh, the Jewish people believed about creation, they incorporated in their story this notion that God breathed into man, God breathed into Adam, and I don't know how you can have separateness when the Creator is the very life source of the creation. You know, we're not talking about me creating a little remote control car and running it around, you know, powered by batteries. We're talking about a creator who is the very energy that fuels the life of the creation. Mm, mm. That's that's not mm. separate. You can't separate those two. You know, we – and one of the things I know you and I, Ray, have really – grabbed onto in the last seven, eight years is the notion that all of us have the stamp of God in us. We, we all have this, this image of God in us. And one of the ways that we learn to love our enemies is to learn to see God in them, mm. to, to recognize that that is not, you know, like Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not about this person standing in front of me. It's that that person has the divine in them. So how can I treat another part of the divine with mm. disdain? Mm. How can I treat another part of God? You know, it would be like saying, I love the Holy Spirit, but I can't stand Jesus. Or, yeah. you know, <laughs> I mean, you, you, can't, you can't separate that out. And so if the, if the very nature of the creation is inhabitation of source of life from the divine, I'm not sure that you can start with a premise of separation. I, I don't, And I think that, that that lends credence to the idea that our separation from God is a lie mm. because we can't be separated from our very life source. You know, we, with, can't, we can't pull away from that. Yeah. You know, with what you're saying about uh, how, you know, loving the enemy and how important it is to recognize the image of God within them, to see God within mm -hmm. them, you know, isn't that isn't that what was borne out in the story of Saul on the road to Damascus? And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you me? persecuting me? Not why are exactly. you persecuting these people over there or my followers. Who represent or, me. Or, yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Why are you persecuting me? Because he identified yep. with the fact that when, you know, and, and Jesus says, you know, when he talks Whatever about to the least of these. exactly in the judgment, it's mm -hmm. not, did you get your doctrines right? Did you, did you affirm <laughs> yeah. or assent to this, you know, this creed? No, yeah. it's what did you do to the least of these, my brothers? Because if mm -hmm. you've done it to them, you've done it to me. You know, right. the thought came to me just a minute ago and it's never hit me before, but this, this goes a lot with like what we're talking about with, um, what we've talked about before with Philippians 2. Mm -hmm. And I remember mm -hmm. Brian McLaren talking about Philippians 2 and really turning it on its head by saying that the lordship that's mentioned there is not our kind of lordship. It's like a subversive use of the term Lord, where he's flipping mm -hmm. it on its head and saying, 
Lord, this is what lordship looks like. It looks like humbling yourself. Yeah. It looks like putting yourself right. at the lowest position, et cetera. I yeah. thought to myself as we're talking about this dichotomy, the seeming dichotomy between eminence and transcendence, what if God's transcendence is actually defined by his eminence so mm-hmm, that the mm-hmm. very thing that makes him That's transcendent is the fact yep. that he's imminent because any of yeah. the rest of us, if we were in his position, we would, we would be transcendent where we would be, be untouchable. Right. But the very, I, the way in which God is transcendent is that he's not mm-hmm. like that. He uses all of this power and all of this sovereignty and all of this stuff to yeah. actually subject himself to, to himself to us, mm-hmm. which is just mind boggling. I mean, you think about the incarnation here and we're coming up on Christmas in a month or so. Here's right. this God that is the sovereign Lord of the universe of everything mm-hmm. that is, has, or will be. Mm-hmm. And he comes to earth as a baby. This transcendent mm-hmm. God doesn't appear on a white horse rolling right. into town to overthrow the Roman empire. He comes as a baby. And the more I think mm-hmm. about that, I'm thinking this King isn't, the kind of king that we're used to, you know, this trans, this transcendent God isn't your mama's transcendent God, right? (laughs) It's not the same transcendence. He transcends Mm -hmm. because he, we could say if transcends means that he goes beyond, he goes Mm -hmm. beyond us in humbling himself and putting himself in subjection to us. So that like we've talked about with the idea of open theism so much Mm -hmm. so that God subjects his universe and right. even his own decision-making to us, yeah. which is mind-blowing. Yep. Well, and, and here's another thought, too, about this separateness, Ray. Is I, As we're talking about this, I'm thinking the ark of Scripture, I don't mean the one Noah built, but the, the, <laughs> uh, or, or the one they carried around to the tabernacle, the... the the overarching story of Scripture, to me, when you when you zoom out and look at the big picture, you see over and over again God resisting separateness. When Adam and Eve sinned, in that story, what you have is God coming after them yeah. and yeah. saying, where are you? Yeah. When you see... Israel, he brings them out of Egypt, he brings them to the mountain, and he invites the entire nation to the mountain. It was not his idea to have Moses speak for him to the people. Yeah. He he was resisting that notion of being separate from. He wanted everything to be part of it. And <clears throat> so it's like over and over again, and you see it in the cries of the prophets. You know, they're constantly telling the people, return to him. Well, how could they return to him if he was the one that left? So if if God is constantly resisting separateness, mm. that tells me that there's a, a really good reason for it, which is probably the fact that he can't be separate from us. Mm. So the incarnation to me is kind of like the... He just puts all the cards on the table. Yeah, He's like, okay, yeah. you you continue to separate yourself from me. You continue to think that you're something other than me. Look, I'm going to show you I and you are one. Yeah, wow. Man and God are one. 
So the the incarnation mm-hmm. to me actually drives home the point that humanity is part of the divine. Not that the divine became human so much, although you can use that language as part of the mystery, mm-hmm. but it it is the, the culmination of his efforts to show that there is no separation between us. Uh, that's you I know, don't know. I, I'm not sure what to do with that, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. You know, and I think I think in saying that, I think another. You know, it, it seems like so much of it's like we talked about before. So much of theology is formed by the culture in which it finds itself. Right. And mm-hmm. one of the things I think in saying this, and maybe what this is one of the reasons that we come down so hard so many times on the institutional version of Christianity. Mm-hmm. is that God resists commodification. Yeah. yeah. God will not be bought <laughs> or owned. Mm-hmm. He will only give himself freely. Yeah. He will he will not he cannot be manipulated. He can't be earned. He can't be bought. He can't be you know, he can't be consumed. Mhm. But he refuses he he refuses to enter into a relationship other than one that's free. Right, and so God here, God comes that's to great. Earth, and instead of making Himself the sole property of the Jewish religion, He talks uh-huh. to Samaritans uh-huh. and Syrophoenicians uh-huh. and Roman soldiers Roman, who were the oppressors, yeah. mm-hmm. and and instead of uh, making Himself that you know a king that was only mm-hmm. to be uh, to be encountered by royal blood and all these kinds of things, He He makes Himself right. a peasant baby. Right that anybody can follow if they're humble mm-hmm. enough to come after him. Uh-huh. I, uh-huh. I think I think you're on to it, Steve, when when we're talking about this idea that that the incarnation is as much about revealing us as it is about revealing Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. About revealing so. the true nature of who God is. Let let me ask mm-hmm. you um I want to read another comment from Joshua in uh, the Joshua Craig, the one that who gave us this idea back in April mm-hmm. when we put out today on Facebook, you know, help us think through this. Joshua came back and said, Oh man, I'm pumped. You guys are doing this. And then, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I asked him, I said, well, you got any thoughts before we record about this? You know, where were you kind of coming from when you had this? Mm-hmm. And I'd kind of like for us to address this before we wrap up. He says, sure. if all things hold together in Christ, then violence towards creation mm-hmm. is violence towards Christ. Panentheism mm-hmm. inspires an ecologically informed theology. Jesus may be crying yeah. out from the earth and animal kingdom, why are you persecuting me? So mm-hmm. if panentheism is true in insofar as we can relate it to humanity, can right. we go all the way? And relate mm-hmm. it to the entirety of creation and say that the entire creation is a part of God or contained within God. Yeah, and I think, in all honesty, I think Paul's language in uh, Colossians and also in, uh, I think, in 1 Corinthians, like you were talking about earlier, I think Paul's language certainly lends itself to that concept that, you know, he he draws... Paul constantly draws all of creation into the redemption story, into the reconciliation story. So, you know, he says, like, creation groans under the weight, and yeah. uh, all creation, uh, I think it's Paul that says all creation eagerly awaits the... Romans the, 8, yeah. The, uh, yeah, and uh, and then the whole all in all, uh, you know, he refers to the fact that everything that was made... Uh, 
came through from Christ. And, and that, like, I think, I think Paul constantly makes it a broad sweeping all of creation, all of the mm-hmm. cosmos. So, yeah, I think that there's, um, while I still feel some baggage from my past to say, I don't know if I'm ready to go that far to say that tree outside the window that I'm looking at right now uh, is part of God, um, because that sounds so much like pantheism, which, of course, I was always taught was such a heretical thing. Uh, I, I do think that we have to allow for that possibility that somehow it does, uh, again, to reference Paul's language, include all of creation, yeah. not just all of humanity. And so, and, and, you know, I think the language of the New Testament where it talks about a new heaven and a new earth, um, and I think there's a lot of symbolic metaphorical language being used there. I don't think it's necessarily literal. Um, but, yeah, I think we have to, to leave that door open for the the notion that panentheism gives us the respect for all of creation that perhaps God was asking us to have in the first place. Yeah, as caretakers and as, yeah. 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 You know, I've, yeah. I've, I've wondered myself, and I'm sure people have, you know, uh, probably thought this as they've listened to us over the last few years, but, you know, we talk a lot about nonviolence and there mm-hmm. seems to be, you know, there seems to be a quick, um, a quick straight line drawn from human nonviolence to nonviolence to the animal kingdom as well. So that right. a lot of people that embrace nonviolence end up as either vegetarians or vegans um, or vegans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, because of a conviction that nonviolence right. means nonviolence and, you know, yeah. in the efforts of full disclosure, um, I, you know, I'm not completely there yet. I right. have a lot of questions and I've thought a lot about it and still continue mm-hmm. to wrestle with it. I mean, some of the things, and this might be, this might be proof texting for me, or it might be me just trying to wiggle my way out of something <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> as a, as a, con- a carnivorous, uh, American <laughs> yeah, man exactly. who lives right. in the South and likes fried food. <laughs> I hope yeah. that's not what it is. And it very, I'm very open to the possibility <laughs> that, uh, and, and even the probability that in some ways I'm fooling myself, but, um, mm. you know, I, I've, what, some of the things I think about are, you know, Jesus eating fish after the resurrection. Right, right. I w- I've really wondered about that. Like, of all the things he mm-hmm. could have done after the resurrection, why did he mm-hmm. eat fish? And then, you yeah. know, the sheep being lowered for Peter and being told, rise, right. Peter, mm-hmm. kill and eat, you know, all these things. And, of kill course, he was making mm-hmm. another point with that. It wasn't about the food. And then Jesus talking about... Well, yeah, but but I don't think he would use a metaphor that... That like would I, lead I, I remember, to confusion. I, yeah, I remember somebody questioning that with me one time about, well, you know, it, it, it says uh, that, that to rise, you know, kill and eat, but that it was just a vision. And I said, well, would God have given him a vision of a prostitute and say, go sleep with her? Right. Well, if your name's I mean, Hosea, yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> but yeah, he, was told to, he was told to marry her. <laughs> he was told to find a prostitute and marry her. That's a big difference, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, well, not, but not yeah, in I mean, the I biblical just, sense there wasn't. <laughs> that's kind of the well, way you yeah, got that's, married. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But <laughs> I think, you know, yeah, all that to say, I don't think God would use a metaphor and a vision that was completely contradictory to how he expected us to live in real life, too. You know. Well, and, and you know, some of the things I think about are, you know, Jesus, when it 
there's one place in one of the gospels where it says that um, Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of him. Uh And then in parenthesis right there, it says, and thus he declared all foods to be clean. Um, Right. So these are things I struggle with because honestly, uh, Mm -hmm. I completely see why people move from nonviolence into vegetarianism and veganism. Absolutely. Because I, yeah. I, I can totally I see the, the correlation because, you know, we're saying mm-hmm. we believe that we're ambassadors of a kingdom that is now and not yet. And as ambassadors, we want to live as if we already were in that kingdom, which will include the wolf and right. the lamb laying down together and all those kinds of things. Um, mm-hmm. However, I'm like you. Um, I want to see the idea of panentheism, that God is in everything. And mm-hmm. I honestly believe that in some sense he is, mm-hmm. but I still, I still think that there is a specialness about humanity that doesn't extend yeah. to the rest of the created order. I, you yeah, know, and, I'm still there too. And yep. the, and the Genesis story, when you read the Genesis story, you know, mm-hmm. whether it be metaphor or literal or however, God speaks everything into creation, but he breathes the breath of life into mankind. Right. And mankind is the only thing of which it is said that they're made in the image of God. So in some sense, I still think that the animal kingdom and the earth, while I would have no problem embracing panentheism and saying that those things are an emanation or a part of God or however you want to say it or contained within God, I really wouldn't have a problem with that. But I would say that there is something, there is a status that's reserved for humanity that isn't for any other part of creation. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. I, I think um, there's still a lot to wrestle through there because, you know, again, to use Paul's language, everything about humanity seems to have an effect on creation, but uh, and our relationship with God seems to have, you know, a, a positive effect on creation. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm willing to be completely open and honest about that, too, that I'm not there in terms of uh, vegetarianism, veganism, uh, as part of my theology uh, there are other reasons that I've considered it. I haven't gone that route yet, but uh, my son Dylan, our producer, uh, was a vegan for a couple years. Uh, he has, has since modified that, but um, I remember at one point uh, not too, too long ago, sometime this year, uh, we us having some discussions as a family about it, and Christy asked me, you know, how does your view on nonviolence affect your view about eating animals? And I, I don't have a good answer for it other yeah. than I hope they're, you know, killed quickly and <laughs> mercifully. But yeah. that's not really a good answer for a nonviolent person. Uh, so, yeah, the, it, it it feels like there might be a discrepancy there. But at the same time, I, I completely concur with what you said, that it seems to me, and I always have this nagging feeling, I can't decide if it's baggage from my evangelical upbringing or if it's really truth, that there there does seem to be some distinction placed upon humanity that that God doesn't seem to speak of the rest of creation in the same way uh but i am i tell you what i'm really open to hear from our listeners on that because well, um there, i'm sure there are some really good viewpoints out there among our our community let me let me be quick to say too in saying that that in in saying what you and i are saying we're not at all saying that that means that um <clears throat> that the commodification of animals and of the environment is at all acceptable when it comes to 
right? You know, uh, you know, for instance, you know, the stripping like of factory the farming and stuff like yeah, yeah, and, and the stripping of the mountaintops in West Virginia and the, right. you know the things like that. I mean, I mm-hmm. I think those are horrible things that God grieves over the destruction of the rainforest. I think those are horrible yeah. things that God grieves over the ways in which yep. um, some animals are kept like, you know, uh, mm-hmm. chickens that are kept in cages their entire life, you know, right. I think some of those things are horrible and no matter what you think about vegetarianism or veganism, I, I don't mm-hmm. think that's ever acceptable to abuse an animal um, right. simply so that we can have a fur coat, you know, or that exactly. we can eat a meal to, to, for that animal to ever be abused or, Mm-hmm. You know, or that that we can abuse the earth, <clears throat> excuse me, on and on, and expect not to pay the consequences. Yeah. You know, um, well, and there are there are cultures that, uh, from what I understand, I haven't fully researched this myself, but there are cultures um, in I, I think probably like Hindu areas that uh, that don't don't discount the eating of animals, but they view it um how can i describe this it's like they still hold the animals in high esteem i know a lot of the native they, cultures a lot of the native american cultures yeah that and, way. and they they almost choose to like honor the memory of the animal so, so it's like there's this respect even while they're partaking of the meat if that makes sense yeah. so because i think what what you're talking about is absolutely critical that we we never have an excuse for just abusing creation at right. any level. I don't, right. We don't have a, an excuse for just you know ripping apart and 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 treating with with carelessness. You know, um, so I, I'm with you on that. I, I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for for the vegan viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it 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 can be viewed as a very consistent philosophy. And, yeah, yeah. And I always respect when I see consistency in somebody's view, I have respect for that tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like the, the journey you and I have taken Ray in saying we used to view ourselves as pro-life in the sense that we were against abortion. And then we realized that there was an inconsistency in being pro-life and being pro-war. Right. And so for us, we, we had to recognize that, okay, if we are going to be pro-life, at any point in the spectrum, we have to respect all of life in every way, mm-hmm. and uh, that I think that type of uh, all of human life I'm talking about um, that type of logic does cause us to to still have to wrestle through what does this mean with regard to the animal kingdom and uh, you know even the the plant kingdom. Um, I, I I don't have good answers for that, but I think it's good to to continue to wrestle through that. Um, for me. The panentheism idea, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm still very much like I said earlier at a point where I, I embrace the idea of oneness with God in terms of humanity's oneness with God. Um, I, it affects creation, but I don't know to what extent it includes creation. If that makes sense, uh, yeah. creation being all the non-human creation. Obviously, we're creation too. <clears throat> but I, I definitely, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I I don't accept pantheism if it's uh if all it means is that ev- that everything is god yeah versus everything being a part of god like that that extra syllable in panentheism means a lot to me and I I think that I'm much more comfortable 
with the notion of panentheism than I am with pantheism because what? to me God is still greater than uh, the sum of the parts, maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, more and more, <coughs> I'm, and, and <laughs> I'm at the part of this podcast where I'm treading lightly because I realize two or three years down the road I might completely change everything I'm saying now. But um, yeah, sure. <laughs> but I, I, I'm I'm saying this in that, you know, I'm more and more seeing what seems to me to be two extremes. On the one extreme, mm-hmm. you have like a like a hyper conservative evangelicalism that tends to believe that man is the only thing that matters, and <clears throat> therefore the earth is is made for consumption. Therefore, we should right. drain drain all of the oil out of it, use all of the trees in the forest, you know, because Jesus is coming back soon and he's going to burn the whole thing up anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Then it seems like on the other end of the spectrum, you have a group of people who are almost, they've, inve- they've invested the same energies in protecting creation that they do humanity to a point that they can actually stifle um human progress or human need because they are, mm-hmm. they have so much respect for creation that they almost let that trump the needs of humanity. And right. while we all yes. tend to think that we're fair and balanced, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we all tend to think that we're in the middle. I'll say for right mm-hmm. now, I look at both of those and see a little bit of extreme in both of them. And I tend to want to say, yeah. I think that there's something special about creation, but special yeah. as in, or maybe this is a really, really bad comparison, but you know, if I had um if I had a zoo and I was keeping animals, mm-hmm. it would be important mm-hmm. to me that the environment was clean and healthy and right. that it was that that the animals were able to enjoy it and that it wasn't mm-hmm. destroyed. But the reason mm-hmm. the environment would be there would be for the animals who were there. Not for them to right. abuse it, not for them to rip it to shreds but for them mm-hmm. to sustain their life and to have to enjoy and to to take care of. And, and that's kind of where I am with humanity. I, I see more and more it's like God put us in this place to take care of it, but mm-hmm. he didn't want it. He didn't want it to take precedence over us, but he also didn't want right. us to abuse mm-hmm. it unnecessarily. Yeah. Yep. I agree with you completely. I agree with you. Uh, one, I'll just share this thought uh, before we wrap it up, that one possible way of viewing creation, if if God, if we're all part of God, a la panentheism, and God is the source of, and it, that means that God is the source of our very existence and our living, our being, then you could possibly view um both plant vegetation and animal sources of food as part of the way in which God provides life to us. Yeah, yeah. And I'll just throw that out there. It yeah. just that I thought about that as we were talking and you know, not not to try to rationalize anything, and I'm not even saying I agree with that. I'm just saying that might be one possible way of of bringing that into harmony. Well, I mean, um, with a, one panentheistic view. One way or another, even for a vegan, something has to die. Right. In order, in order to sustain life, and maybe, yeah. maybe that death, maybe it's not appropriate to always look at those deaths in the same way. In that, 
that mm-hmm. energy from that plant, you know, it's that one of the rules of the universe is that the, the amount of energy in the universe never changes. It always right. remains the exact same. It just transfers. And so yes. the, the life of that plant transfers into our body, which sustains life mm-hmm. for us. So I think you yep. can, I don't know. I think you can almost get weirded out on some of these things to where, yeah. um, in an unhealthy way, but simultaneously, mm-hmm. I want to be very careful to say, I am treading lightly because I I don't have all right. the answers. I am still I've been thinking through some of this for a good while. I'm still not completely comfortable with all the mm-hmm. answers I have for it, but I you know, I am gr- I'm growing and I don't want to yep. I don't want to stay stagnant and I don't want to rem- I don't want to do something just because it's convenient for me. But simultaneously, right. I don't want to jump into something that I see as possibly excessive or unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, now we've become beyond the lunchbox, apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's so many places you can go with that. I mean, there's beyond. Yes. <laughs> we have so many boxes that we can that we can throw in on that one. <laughs> yeah, someone had suggested beyond the litter box. We could talk about cats, I guess. But uh, anyway, I hope they weren't saying the podcast good was litter. But you know, yeah. Right. I hope that wasn't yeah, a veiled. Box is usually. Uh, I hope that wasn't a veiled crap. jab against us, Steve. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't know. It came from our buddy Jareen, I think, so, or one of those two. So. Um, but this this has been a great discussion, though, Ray. And it's. I know we need to wrap this up for both of our sakes. It's getting pretty late, and you've got work tomorrow, and I've got some other stuff to do too. But uh, it's been really good just to kind of talk about something that you and I aren't even settled on. You know, a lot of times no. I think people sometimes think that we come to the podcast with our minds already made up about something. Um, this is a, a good example of a topic that we we don't really have any solid answers on. We're just kind of bouncing around and thinking off the cuff on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and we certainly, would... you know, the discussion that, that uh, results from this could be very, very beneficial to helping us think through it even more. Absolutely. Uh, looking forward to what people have to say about this. Yeah, and and if you want to jump in the discussion, first of all, know, as we were talking early in the episode, know that we now have this Beyond the Box group page on Facebook, which is really, really making conversation much, much easier to keep up with, to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash BTB podcast discussion. Um, you'll, you'll ask to join there, which you will automatically be a member. <laughs> you yep. don't have to send them two ninety nine, and you don't have to, you know, uh, we, we don't send out prayer cloths. There's no, That's no right. strings attached. No doctrinal statement to sign. It, no doctrinal statement. If you just ask to join, you will automatically be accepted as soon as Steve or I are on Facebook and see that you've asked. So please, yep. by all means, jump in the discussion there. Or well, another mm-hmm. thing also, you know, if you want to like the page, Beyond the uh, mm-hmm. Facebook.com slash Beyond the Box. It's our Facebook page. It's um, the official page for the for the podcast where we post all of our mm-hmm. episodes. Um, we post most of the things in the in the discussion group as far as if things that we want to kick around, but that's usually right. where we'll put our episodes because that's where the most people are connected to us, so that they can see as soon as an episode goes live to be able to to uh, check it out and and actually comment or etc. Exactly. Yep. Or you can uh, contact us on Twitter if you'd like to follow us on there. We also announce episodes on there, and uh, and I think anything that we post on the Facebook page also automatically goes out to the Twitter feed. 
Um, and that's uh, twitter.com slash BTB podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can follow us on there and you can call us um, from our website. Well, actually, we should give the website too. Our website is, <laughs> we got a lot of URLs now to give out, don't worry. <laughs> it's getting. Getting pretty complicated. Uh, BeyondTheBoxPodcast.com is our main website. That's where we actually post the audio for the episodes. You can uh, listen. You're, you may be listening to it there even now uh, if you haven't subscribed through pod, uh, iTunes or some other podcast download service. Um, but anyway, on BeyondTheBoxPodcast.com, you can go to the widget in the right-hand sidebar and click uh, the, the widget that says Call Me. Right? Is that what it says, Ray? Just call me, maybe. Yep, that's it. <laughs> oh, that's click the right. click the call me widget. You'll see the, the yes. <laughs> if you put your phone number and your name there, hit submit. <laughs> Our answer service will call you back, or you can call us. You know, if you're riding down the road right now, you want to pull off to the side, or you're on the treadmill, you're listening to us, and you want to pull out that phone and leave us an audio comment. You want to tell us you guys are crazy, or wow, that really resonated with me. Yep. Call. Six two six twenty four no box. Crazy. That's six two six two four six six two six nine. Just call us, will you? Just call us, will you? That's right. <laughs> Don't call us, will you? Call us Ray and Steve. <laughs> Don't call me Shirley. Um, that's right. <laughs> Don't call me late for dinner, especially if you're serving steak. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I think that wraps up all the many URLs that we have to give out. We'll right? find five more anything, before right? the end of the episode. Steve, That's so. right. Yeah, maybe we'll start like <laughs> ten more groups. And uh, no, ser- seriously, however you want to connect with us, please do that. You can you can even email us uh, on our website. There's a contact form that you can use to to send us a message. Um, it, it's great to hear from you guys. Uh, and like we've said already several times in this podcast, uh, we love the discussions that are taking place. Um, I love the freedom that people feel just to jump in there and, and talk about stuff. And we're reconnecting with some old friends, uh, connecting with a lot of new friends on there. Um, actually tomorrow, if all things go as planned, Ray, I'm, I'm having lunch up here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania with one of our listeners. Awesome. And, uh, so yeah, there's there's lots of ways to connect with us. Um, it, we're we're just grateful for the community that we have. Grateful for the the conversation and the fellowship. And uh, Ray, it's it's just always fun to talk with you, man. I, I always come away from our conversations thinking, man, I never thought we could come up with new thoughts, but there's always something that just springs out of the the conversation, out of the discussion, and gets my wheels spinning again. Hey, I'm with you, bro. I feel the exact same way. Well, it actually uh, gets my wheels turning, not spinning. Wheel spinning is not a good thing, but gets my wheels turning. I, I have a tendency to mix up metaphors all the time. It's crazy. Hey, I knew what you meant, and uh, tell you, <laughs> it, is, it is always good. I, I, I tell you, I always go away from these discussions charged up and, and uh, with lots of fodder to think about for the next good while. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. Alrighty. Well, thanks y'all for listening. And uh, Ray, I'll catch you again soon on Beyond the Box. Sounds great.